0: Mission Log. A Roddenberry Star Trek Podcast. Episode 172. Suddenly Human. Welcome
1: into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star
2: Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart for messages, morals, and meanings, and trying to figure out whether all of it is something we can take with us today.
1: And this week, Suddenly Susan.
2: Oh, the cleanest San Francisco you will ever see in your entire life. You know, that's
1: the show that brought us uh, Kathy Griffin.
2: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it it yeah. is, and brought us brought us back, Judd Nelson.
1: Yeah, it really did. I was um, particularly a fan of Nestor Carbonell. Yeah, uh, yeah I think mean, he's he really kind of where he got his start. Um, <laughs> loved him on the Tick. Yeah. as Batman. Well, he's really good these days in uh, Bates Motel. Oh, really? Yeah, he's the sheriff. He's Sheriff uh, Romero, okay. and uh, a little little chip of the hat there to George Romero.
2: See, see, for my money though, that was a mm-hmm. that was a Barbie Barry vehicle. Yeah, really?
1: you're a, particularly a Barbara
2: Berry fan? Yeah, I can't say why exactly, but I am. All the way back to her days on Barney Miller, which actually weren't that far back by the time we got to Suddenly <laughs> Susan. Sure, How sure. How long are we going to talk about Suddenly Susan? The show's oh. called Suddenly Human, by the way. Suddenly oh. Human oh. is the episode oh. of Star Trek. Not to be confused with the movie being human, or the TV series being human, or the other movie being human.
1: Can we break for about four hours so I can change my notes? <laughs>
2: <laughs> nah, no, I think, I, I think honestly... It's amazing how similar the themes in Suddenly Human and yeah. the themes in Suddenly Susan were. So I think you'll be fine. Uh, okay, Because cool. I know you know trivia like the back of your hand. Here's what we'll do. I'll give you about 45 seconds Okay. to make sure you get the trivia right, because I'm going to tell people how to get in touch with us. Got it. Uh, Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, <laughs> Skype, and Twitter. Uh, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can. We'd love that, in fact. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call three two three five two two five six four one. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, which has just all kinds of fun stuff, a lot of it's Star Trek related. Is it missionlogpodcast.com and please do remember that we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. So riddle me this, Batman. How old was Brook Shields when suddenly Human was a show? Oh yeah! Oh. See what I did? I sort of crossed yeah. uh, across circuit A to circuit B. There, you
1: did. You did. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to get back to you on that one.
2: Okay. You've got Go some up. suddenly human trivia though.
1: I do, I do. I was able to pull that together while you did the the credits there. So uh, today's episode was written by John Welpley and Jerry Taylor. Now we mentioned Jerry Taylor's credit previously, but in order of production, this was actually the first episode that she worked on. She came to Star Trek knowing nothing about the series or movies. She was there on recommendation of one of the producers, and she moved very quickly from writer to producer credit. Um, at the time, her sons were teenagers, and uh, it was that which helped influence her writing this script. This is John Welpley's only Star Trek The Next Generation credit, but he does have one more coming up in Deep Space Nine. Now, he's on a lot of TV, Fantasy Island, Love Boat, Trapper John, The New Outer Limits, Baywatch, Beverly Hills 90210, and he wrote for two other series created by Gene Roddenberry, Earth Final Conflict and Andromeda. The story credit goes to Ralph Phillips. He had a handful of TV credits, Benson, The New Twilight Zone, Cheers, Jefferson's, and a handful of supernatural slash paranormal type stories. Uh, This is his only Star Trek outing, his only sci-fi script, actually, unless you count Small Wonder. Um, His friends Hans Bimler and Richard Manning uh, worked with him on the TV series Fame and brought him in to pitch for The Next Generation. Now, the episode is directed by Gabrielle Beaumont, and we talked about her really rich career as a director in England and the U.S., uh, everything from The Tomorrow People to MASH, Heart to Heart, Remington Steele, Miami Vice, before becoming the first woman to direct Star Trek. And her first episode, can you may remember, it was called Booby Trap. Booby Trap?
2: Booby Trap. It doesn't ring a bell. Okay.
1: Um, we do finally meet the Talarians in this episode. We had heard of them in Heart of Glory. Uh, the ship that the Klingons took over was a Talarian cargo ship. And uh, let's talk about guest stars here. Now, we've got Barbara Townsend as Admiral Rosa. She spent a little time on stage, but it moved over to TV in the early days. Shows like Plymouth Playhouse and other live Shows, uh, She moved on to guest spots on shows like the Alfred Hitchcock Presents show, and uh, she was Mrs. Potter in Aftermash. Now, she has a long list of credits, but uh, one of her later and only other sci-fi credits was a guest spot on Quantum Leap. We also have Sherman Howard uh, playing Captain Endar. He makes his first of a handful of Trek appearances here. He's a Chicago actor and was in 1985's Day of the Dead, but some of his earliest work was in soap operas like General Hospital and Ryan's Hope. He had a recurring role on Dallas while also hitting the other major places for TV guest stars in the 80s and 90s like Baywatch and Miami Vice. Um, He was the dad in the pilot for Parker Lewis Can't Lose and even had a small role in Lethal Weapon 2. Now He played Lex Luthor in the 1992 series Superboy and since then has shown up as a voice actor in a huge number of sci-fi and fantasy titles. And finally, Chad Allen as Jono slash Jeremiah Chad has had a really varied career as an actor, uh, starting as a child and continuing into adulthood. He was a regular on Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman and My Two Dads. Uh, He turns up as a guest star on Dexter and Charmed and even The Love Boat, The Next Wave. So I'll have to talk more about him in my other podcast um he was also in the wonder years webster airwolf simon and simon the most interesting credit though i think ken is that he was tommy westfall in saint elsewhere do you know who that is um dr westfall's son (laughs) very good but he is the boy upon whom the entire story is based because at the very end of St. Elsewhere, that incredibly surprising final episode where we realized that everything we had seen in St. Elsewhere was in the mind of an autistic child, he is that boy.
0: Wow, John, ever heard of spoiler alerts? I had just started downloading and processing Saint Elsewhere. No point now, I guess. John is a Kirk, and we all know what Kirk is. Prologue:
2: The Enterprise is responding to a distress call from a Talarian observation ship. It appears to be leaking radiation, and Doctor Crusher stands ready to assist. There's just one thing: feigning distress and blowing up the ship with aid workers aboard is an old Talarian trick. It looks like there's a Telerian warship, the Khmer, on the way, though. And it seems there really are people aboard, and that the ship is leaking radiation. Enterprise crew members beam over to help. On the ship, they find a crew of five young men. Teenagers in military training, apparently. All are suffering from the radiation leak, and... One of the crew is human. Well, that was sudden. Act 1. The young human's name is Jono. At least, that's what Dr. Crusher thinks she heard his compatriots call the boy... He's not saying a word. He is howling like a coyote, as are his four friends. Counselor Troy says they're terrified. Wouldn't you know it is at just this uncontrolled moment that Commander Riker and Captain Picard come in? Twice Picard asks nicely for everyone to be quiet, then he orders them to stop that immediately! That works, and Picard has Jono's attention, though he's still not saying anything. That is until Jono hears Troy call Picard Captain. Suddenly he has a voice and a request. Take me home to my captain. Take me home to Endar. Away from Jono, Dr. Crusher tells Picard that Jono shows signs of abuse. Broken bones, possible head trauma. Picard has a hard time with that possibility, given Jono's desire to go back to the Talarians, though Crusher says he could be experiencing Stockholm Syndrome, wishing to return to the people who'd harmed him. Hold that thought, Jono's having another fit. Troy says all she did was suggest he remove his gloves, and Jono kinda lost it. Picard orders him to stop his outburst immediately, which Jono does. He's still insistent. He wants to go back to Captain Endar. Data pipes in. He has news about the boy. Picard heads away to hear that, and Crusher orders Worf to escort Jono to his quarters. There, Jono quizzes Worf. Were you captured as well, Klingon? And why are you taking orders from a woman? Jono says among his people, a woman can never outrank a man. Worf's like, yeah, you're human, so too, Jono says he's Talarian, and starts again with the howling. Turns out this is called the Banar, the morning, and he'll keep making that noise until he gets back with his brothers. Worf will leave him to that. Data's news. The boy's given name is Jeremiah Rosa, thought to have been killed in a Talarian attack years ago. He's the grandson of a Starfleet admiral. Dr. Crusher thinks she'll be stoked to have her grandson back, though Counselor Troi says reuniting him with his human family will not go well in his current state. He needs to rediscover his humanity, and that rediscovery needs to be led by one person, the one that Jono has shown any respect, Captain Picard. Picard argues, but it's obvious the task will be his. Act 2. Jono's still howling when Picard goes to see him. As Captain, Picard asks him to knock it off, and Jono does. Like your room? We can bring you some games, some pictures maybe. Could you bring me to my captain? Picard says they'll rendezvous with the Khmer soon and the Talarians will be returned to Captain Endar. And me? Asks Jono. Yeah, we'll talk that over with Endar. Jono says he hates his quarters. He has always lived with his captain. Picard says that would not work here and cut to Jono and Picard in Picard's quarters. Jono is picking up Everything. A dagger, a navigation... thing. Eventually, he settles on the couch, and Picard quizzes him. Why don't you take off your gloves? I don't want to touch an alien. Has Endar ever hurt you? Pain's not important. Passing the tests, that's what's important. Jono says Picard doesn't get it. Picard says it's true, he doesn't understand Talarians, but... Jono is not Talarian. Needless to say, that does not go over well. Picard has a different idea. How about he doesn't deal with Jono? Troy tries to get Picard to connect to Jono by remembering what it was like to be a kid himself. Though Picard says, with a tinge of regret, that he pretty much skipped his childhood in an attempt to become who he is today. Troy won't let him off the hook, though. You're still the guy to do this, and you might be better at it than you think. Back in his quarters, that loud rock music that the Tolarian kids are listening to these days is blasting. Jono is sleeping through it in a hammock that he's rigged up. Anyway, Picard has something to show him. It's a picture of Jono, back when he was a baby. Jeremiah. And those people are his parents. His parents were killed by the Talarians. Jono says it was war, and Endar rescued him. Speaking of Endar, the Enterprises made visual contact with the Khmer. Picard heads to the bridge, leaving Jono to his family portrait, and apparently a flashback to the death of his human parents. On the bridge, Picard is talking to Captain Endar. He says they rescued the four Talarians from the observation ship and will be returning them post-haste. Also, you had a human on board? Endar asks if he's okay, that Picard is more interested, as a representative of the Federation, with what Endar was doing with the Federation child. Endar says he owes Picard no explanation, but I'll give him one anyway. Jono is Endar's son. Act 3. Captain's Log Supplemental. No freaking way, Jeremiah is Endar's son. But to avoid armed conflict, Picard will have the captain over to talk it out. Endar says he was responsible for the campaign that led to the death of the Rosas. That's when he found Jono, crying like a small child over his dead mom. Mostly because he was a small child whose mom had just died. What, was he supposed to leave him there? Picard says he was supposed to let the Federation know about the boy, though Talarian custom says Endar was within his rights to raise the boy as his own. And the injuries? That was Jono being a kid. Kids break things. He was trying to impress his father. He will be a great warrior one day. Picard says shouldn't he be allowed to be human? What with his actually being human and all? Endar says that's a forgotten part of Jono's past. Yeah, not by the Federation. Endar can have the four Talarians, but Jeremiah will stay with the Enterprise. Well then, Endar says the Enterprise will not be leaving this sector. Picard says Starfleet knows where he is, but Endar says so did the backup Talarian warships that he's called. You would be willing to go to war over this boy, Picard asks. Wouldn't you for your only son? Endar has an idea. Let me see Jono. It'll be obvious that I've been a good father to him. Dr. Crusher is against the idea, still considering the possibility that Endar has abused Jono. Troy, on the other hand, thinks they'll never gain Jono's trust if they keep him away from the one person he's known as father. Picard's on Troy's side. He really thinks Endar cares for Jono. Plus, they're deep in Talarian territory. Best not to start a shooting war. Endar and Jono meet, touching foreheads and talking over Jono's treatment. They've treated him well, except he can't listen to his music and can't howl like a coyote... So, Jono, what do you think of these humans? They want to keep you, you know. Jono pauses, long enough to worry Endar. Do you want to stay with them? Jono says, of course not. Well, then here's the plan. I'm going to tell the humans to return you to me, and if they don't, I'm going to attack them, and you may die. Jono says he's ready to die. They touch foreheads again, as we had to break. Act 4 Talarian warships are surrounding the Enterprise, which could totally destroy the Talarian warships. Still, it would be great if it didn't come to that. Choice says they just need to connect Jono with his humanity. Then he'd choose to stay, and having reached the age of decision, Endar would have to go along with Jono's decision. Incoming message from Starfleet Command, It's Jeremiah Rosa's Gammy! That's Admiral Gammy to you. They're too far apart for two-way communication, but she had to send a message to her grandson as soon as she could, saying how grateful she is that he is alive, and how much she's looking forward to seeing him. Jono is really frustrated. He can't listen to his music. He can't howl like a coyote. He can't run along the rivers of his home world. So Picard takes him to play some space racquetball. ball. Jono is great at it, except for the part where the sounds give him flashbacks to the battle that led to the death of his parents and suddenly he remembers everything. His mother, her death. Before he remembered these things, he was strong. Picard says as deeply as he feels this hurt, he can feel joy. Jono doubts it, until he has his first encounter with the banana split and 10 forward. A mishap with that and a spoon ends with ice cream all over Wesley Crusher. Everybody laughs, something no one has ever seen from Jono. They order more banana splits, and Riker and Picard talk over the progress he's made. Yes, things seem to be going very well for Jono. Right up until he walks up to a sleeping Captain Picard and stabs him in the chest with a dagger. Seriously. Act 5. Dr. Crusher says Picard will be fine. Jono missed any vital organs and arteries. Jono is being held by security, but Picard says he wants to see him here, in sickbay. Now. On the bridge, Andar is making demands of Riker in command during Picard's incapacitation. Give me my son. Yeah, your son tried to kill my captain, so no. Endar says if they had sent him back earlier, as they should have, this would not have happened. Give me back my son. You have five minutes. In sickbay, Jono tells Picard that he understands that now he must die. It's what comes of trying to kill a captain. Yeah, we're not going to kill you, Jono. Just tell me why you did it. Jono says he was happy aboard the Enterprise. Then he thought about his father, about everything that he would be giving up to stay with the Federation. He could not leave, but he also could not leave the only life he's ever known behind. On the bridge, time's up. Endar prepares to attack the Enterprise, though that plan is cut short by the arrival on the bridge of Picard and Jono. Picard tells Endar that a crime has been committed, and Endar says again that that wouldn't have happened if they had returned Jono when he asked. But Picard explains that that's not the crime to which he's referring. The Enterprise should never have kept Jono in the first place, should never have tried to talk him into being human again. Though with the best of intentions, we failed to listen to his feelings, to his needs. That was the crime, and it's taken a huge toll on a strong and very noble young man— So we will be returning him to his home and to his family. He'll be going back with Endar. On the transporter pad, Jono says goodbye to Picard. Then, with no more words, he removes his gloves for the first time, pulls Picard's head to his, and touches foreheads with the captain the way he had with his father. The end.
1: Ken space racquetball.
2: Space racquetball.
1: It's like racquetball, but it's in space.
2: Yeah, but it's in space, yeah. yeah. Some of the rules are the same, although the big, you know...
1: But it's got way more way more space.
2: It's Well, it's got... And yet, less space, it seemed.
1: <laughs> Not very much space, but no. it's... It's in space.
2: I know. I know. It's pretty good. We also had an obvious failing of space cutlery in this episode, though. I know I, you're yeah. a huge fan of the Space Fork. I am. I am. Uh, the Space Spoon is just no good for Space Banana Split Spacey. Uh, I yeah. know. I yeah. Know.
1: I, I like that scene a lot. I, I mean, it, it's kind of goofy. It's kind of obvious. But uh, there's something that I liked about it. Um, I just Maybe I just like the idea that there's sloppy, melted ice cream that you can get. Instantly in uh, ten forward. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it was a fun. Well, it's fun space moment. ice cream? It is space ice cream. Yeah, you yeah. have to eat a space spoon. Yeah,
2: in space. Yeah, yeah in that, space. That's what yeah. happens.
1: Um, I didn't mention it in trivia, but uh the blinky lights, love them. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Those are
2: my, uh, that's one of my favorite props ever. Yeah,
1: ever. Uh, of course, they they made their debut in the Wrath of Khan. Um, was that was that really
2: their debut? Yeah. I did not yeah. realize that. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, they showed up in Airplane 2, yeah. of course, when Shatner goes off on them. Uh, and just so much more. We have actually <laughs> seen them. Uh, I think they were in Datalore. Uh, we've seen them, uh, again, in some other stuff. Um, and, and here they make an appearance on the damaged Tolarian ship. Now, Ken, we can get those from Modern Props.
2: Can we like really, that. though? We can. We, How much we would can they cost? Them. How much?
1: They're They're going to cost, like, four times as much as Kevin's replicator how, uh, how, from, from the Survivors. So
2: like a thousand bucks?
1: Uh, it's going to be about
2: $800. For the weekend? For a week. Ah, uh, for a week? A week. Dude, yeah. it's the 50th anniversary. <laughs> I'm sorry. As we record this, the 50th anniversary is coming up and I'm just well, saying. I'm just saying. Well, here's
1: saying. the question. Do, do we rent kevin's replicator no not if we can get those times. things
2: no not if we can get those things we just
1: get them one time and that that's our thing that's vegas like, baby your photo op with these things it's
2: neon central seriously yeah, it, yeah. I, you know those that i'll tell you why that has such a special place in my heart mm-hmm. it's not just because it's in wrath of Khan. in fact it was only later that i realized it was wrath of Khan. it's one of the most hysterical things ever when when shatner in airplane 2 is looking at it <laughs> and they're saying to him we still haven't figured out what it does sir <laughs> Right. And he says something That's like, right. well, NASA spent all this money on it. It has to do something. Keep working. Right. That's such right. a great, because it's like, yeah, it really doesn't make any sense at all. And yet there it is. Yeah. And you got to love it. Yeah. And I love
1: that pretty much every time it shows up, it's in the foreground of whatever shot.
2: Well, it's it's flashy and, and big.
1: Yeah. It's kind of awesome. flashing.
2: Hey, yeah. I got a question. Speaking of props and such, it, yeah. is it my imagination or did the Talarians raid the Klingon costumes from the original series?
1: They look similar, don't they? They
2: look very similar. In fact, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact if not for the uh, you know uh, uh, stuff going on on top of the head, right. I would think that that's really what they had just done.
1: They're not the same. Although I will say that pieces of the Tularian costumes will show up later as other, other species, other aliens costumes in mm-hmm. next gen. Okay. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. I, they, had a, they had a very original series Klingon feel to me. Both, (laughs) both the costumes and the Talarians, honestly, Mm -hmm. somewhat. Although the Worf era, the Next Gen era Klingons definitely have more honor. I guess that's something that we talked about. Started in the movies, probably started in Star Trek Three when we started saying the whole thing about Klingon honor as opposed to just you know Klingon. The Klingons in the original series, well, yeah, the Klingons in the original series were much closer to um, Ferengi, I think.
1: Oh yeah. As far as just yeah, yeah, yeah. get
2: what you can. You You got to screw over the other guy, so be it, because you know, woohoo, I'm gonna win. Right,
1: right, right. Um, Those scenes with Deanna and and Picard, but the the one in particular, Deanna just totally calls out Picard. And then not only does she call him out, she needles him further. I ask myself, has their relationship totally changed since the Borg incident? We we talked about that moment uh, where in family, she's standing in his quarters. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Presumably, she had been there. He actually welcomed her and she didn't just show up. Um, (laughs) And and they had this much more personal conversation than than they have had up until this point. This is the most personal their their relationship has been at any point up until now. Um, It's a very charming scene. Uh, because it, it is fun to see him being uneasy. But, man, does she lay down the law with him.
2: Yeah. It's I, kind of great. I actually prefer the fun part. I mean, she does lay down the law, and that's cool, too. But I love the part <laughs> where he sits there and says, so, you may not know this, but I <laughs> am not great with kids. <laughs> right. And she's like, oh, really? I, no I, yeah. I, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, right. It was very, yeah. it was very cute. I got to say, too, when you're talking about sort of, you know, disarming moments, I loved Picard in his quarters. Oh, God. when When was picking up everything. That's <laughs> value. Yes. Well, please just put, no, don't touch with the... It's very it's oh, very, yeah. very uneasy, sort of like, oh, wow, I really want to yell at this kid, but I'm trying to be, you know, sort of, I'm trying to sort of connect with him, so I can't. I mean, to the point, the thing where he stands there and sort of, like, presses his hands together, like, in front of his face, reminded mm-hmm. me a bit of, um, was it Brandt? From uh, the big Lebowski, the Philip oh, okay. Seymour Hoffman character, right? When when Lebowski going through and touching everything and, and Brandt. yeah. Anyway, right. reminded me right. of that. It's uh, no,
1: it, it was good.
2: It's a fun it moment. Good. Yeah,
1: I, I, I felt for Picard in that moment. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> I really did. Yeah. Um, now there's a mention in the episode, um, and, and actually Doctor Crusher puts the name on it, Stockholm Syndrome. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, just about two weeks ago, I was listening to another podcast talking about Stockholm syndrome and and just questioning if that's actually a thing. And the most interesting part of it is that Stockholm syndrome by name does not show up in any medical or psychological literature. So it's not like in the, the DSM-5. It, it is not a thing that is recognized as a syndrome on its own. Hmm. Uh, and the, the path that this uh, podcast was taking was saying that it, it could be more likely described as one of many expected paths of uh, a bigger category like uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um but the, this idea that uh, Stockholm Syndrome just sort of gets kicked around, like you hear it in popular culture, you hear it on the news, but it's not really a thing, like a psychologist wouldn't necessarily come in and say, I'm diagnosing this person with Stockholm Syndrome because it's not actually a thing that is in diagnostic literature. Now, th- there's another label that they put on it called misplaced attachment. Um, and, and really, you would have to, focus it uh, on, the, on the kind of attachment that a victim uh, that would drive a victim back to an abuser. Um, and they would put this in kind of a, a wider category as well, like spousal abuse and, and all these other kind of related incidents. But, yeah, I thought that was interesting that because, of course, when I hear it in the episode, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, that's a thing because I've heard of it. <laughs> but I didn't realize that medically, when you get really uh, nitpicky about it, it's not actually a thing that is out there in the medical uh, and, and psychoanalytic community. Hmm. Now, I was also uh, very interested in the connection between Worf and uh, Jono slash Jeremiah, right. um, especially considering this was shot before family. Um, because, it, it, now we didn't get a lot of Worf in this episode, just really that one moment where um, Jono was calling him out, saying like, hey, I'm, I'm no more human than you are. Uh, and his idea of these two characters being products of their environment rather than their biology, hmm. um, I thought was uh, an interesting moment. Didn't go particularly far after that. Yeah, maybe nah.
2: I actually we will have to come back to this later.
1: Oh really? I think
2: there was zero connection between the two of them. They shared a scene together. That was it. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that you you say one of the writers of the show had no knowledge of TNG. Yeah, that makes a whole lot more sense. (laughs) Because I mean, (laughs) it's just well, we'll have to come back to it. Jerry Jerry
1: Taylor did do what a lot of other people do. She got the crash course. She got all the videotapes and had to go back and watch everything to get an idea
2: of uh, what she was
1: writing. Well,
2: yeah, okay. Sorry, I, I, we'll come back to it. Trust me. Okay,
1: well, let's come back to Picard for just a moment because I mentioned that scene with um, Deanna. And we, we learned that Picard didn't have a childhood. Uh, I, I thought that was terrible and interesting mm-hmm. since we got a taste of his childhood story with family. Yeah. Um, you know, it was um, him battling with uh, with Robert but I wondered that it, you know this stuff obviously taking place while he was a child, while he was a kid. Right. Um, so yes, he he may have, as he told Deanna, changed his focus to Starfleet, and that was all he did was just study and try to try to get into Starfleet. But he was also a kid who was in this, you know, again, dare I use the word because I know people online get upset when I say this, um, but this quasi abusive relationship with his older older brother you mm-hmm. know and, and clearly his uh, his family was around his father was around so i, I thought it was interesting to phrase it in, in this this moment of realization of picard saying he did not have a childhood i think he did but it clearly wasn't a very happy childhood
2: well it sounds to me like he like uh, what he was saying was that he skipped his childhood and if you mm-hmm. think about it in a way you could sort of see I mean the the argument between uh, Picard and Robert, or the arguments between Picard and Robert, you could actually, you could, you could probably make that case. He was always driving himself to be the best. He was always, you know, sort of breaking the rules. But you you don't, you don't hear about his flights of fancy or whatever. It was always, it was always winning. It was always, yeah. it was always going further. It was always breaking with tradition to to become what he wanted to be. Yes, he was young. But he may have actually sort of you know, skipped the whole part of being uh, the whole kid part of being young.
1: It's it's interesting, and and hopefully there will be more revealed about the Picard character in that uh, in that vein later on.
0: I will tell you, these kids today, with their gloves, and their music, and their attempted murders, and their identity crises. And their space ice cream. And their clothes. And their hair. And their
1: Ken, I don't think that the episode is necessarily about this, but it is uh, a, an important sort of through line that comes up in the episode about Jeremiah Jono being abused. Hmm. So was he being abused?
2: No. And, no? Okay, all right. Okay. Well, no, isn't that established? I mean, here's the thing. As soon as she named his injuries, I actually said out loud, well, that could just be, you know, he's growing up in a militaristic society. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember if I told this here or not. But at one point, my little sister's pediatrician had to have a talk with my mother. He was like, you, you, you've been in here a lot. And, you know, he wasn't concerned that my mom was doing something, but I think he was concerned that her father might be because he didn't know her father. He knew my mom. He didn't know her Mm -hmm. father, my stepfather. And I I have very few good things to say about my stepfather, honestly. But one that I will say is he never hit anybody as far as I know. My little sister had an older brother, um, three years older than she was. And then, of course, she had a much older brother. But, you know, she wasn't trying to impress me. She was trying to impress my younger brother, who was very active. And this would end with her falling off a backstop that she had climbed up for some reason and breaking her wrist. And it would end with a bunch of like like bruises and stuff on her back, because not because anybody was mistreating her, because she was rough and tumble. Yeah, yeah. So when I heard what she listed as his, as his injuries and then thought about the fact that he was found as a 14-year-old on a military ship with a bunch of other 14-year-olds, it seemed obvious to me that he wasn't being uh, hit at all. But then, of course, once you meet uh, Endar, then it seemed doubly obvious. There was nothing shifty and television, of course, if there was any hidden abuse, then he would have had this sort of like, what are you accusing me of? And, you know, shifty eyed something or other. And he's like, he's a kid. Kids do this, (laughs) especially if you ever been to a Tolarian training, whatever, because, man, that's that's some hard living.
1: Well, I thought it was a good bit of misdirection Hmm. just uh, to keep you guessing about what the episode is about. And what do we feel for this boy? Because if it's there to just sort of push that button, Mm -hmm. um, because I I did take it seriously when uh, Dr. Crusher brought it up Hmm. the the very first time. Um, If it is there to sort of push that emotional button to make you think, oh, my God, this boy cannot go back with, with, with whoever is bringing him up because hmm. he is clearly being abused. And even though it is misdirection, and that's fine, you know, it, I, I thought it was interesting to raise the question to get it out there as a as a dramatic thing, but yeah, clearly the episode is not about that. This is not Star Trek The Next Generation takes on child abuse. Right. <laughs> you know, that that's not what the episode is. Now, if there is something to be said about that, though, maybe there is something about the moral or cultural relativism here that that would make you ask, well, is this boy unfit for life om- among the Telerians? You know, what is our position, uh, and putting us in the position of this, you know, mostly human Federation starship, putting ourselves in the position as Captain Picard, to ask, do we have some right over this? To say, well, okay, we'll we'll respect your culture up to this point that this is how you do things, that you put 14-year-old boys on a ship and put them through war games, which seems completely crazy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but that's the way that your culture works. But but this particular boy can't handle it, you know, even though he may protest that he can. Um, but I guess then you would have to do a study to see if every other Tularian boy has had similar kinds of injuries throughout their lives. And then we still got to ask, well, from our position, that's not right for our culture, but is that can – we, can we make a morally objective statement to say that it is wrong to put 14-year-old boys through war games when particularly they are being bodily injured and almost dying? If not from the physical injuries like broken ribs, then certainly from exposure to radiation.
2: Well, the exposure to radiation thing was an accident. Uh, certainly, right. but I mean, let's put it. A different- they all
1: may. They all may be accidents. Let's put the it. A di- they're, they're putting themselves in harm's way.
2: Well, let's put it a different way. What would you say about a half-human uh, being raised by a culture that doesn't want emotions to be expressed by anyone, and so they're not allowed to be who it is that they're going to be, and you know they have to constantly tamp down, you know, what it is they might like for, you know, fear of upsetting their father or upsetting their society.
1: Hey, uh, Sarek gets no Father of the Year award.
2: (laughs) But would you ever swoop in and take away Spock? Uh, That's a good question. I mean, maybe not. Yeah, yeah. (laughs)
1: Actually,
2: that that was my point. I mean, you're right. We haven't run the kind of test that we were running on everybody else. Maybe the Telerians have a slightly stronger uh, skeleton than does um, does a human. I mean, look at that. Mm-hmm. Again, look at the thing on top of their head. I mean, they their you know skull is practically bursting out of their skin. It's so <laughs> mighty. It didn't it didn't feel like an overly an overly um, it didn't feel like a great bit of misdirection to me. But I apologize. No, that's fine. I don't know why I'm apologizing. I I, I, immediately, I immediately jumped to the Nah, he's just a kid thing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No. And, and he is just a kid. And I think that's why it's interesting that they are able to do this within this show Yeah. to, to sort of play with your sympathies, you know? Um, the other thing that I thought was an interesting undercurrent here was the idea of indoctrination. Um, we hear today about kids being recruited into ISIS and sort of giving up their identities in order to follow that ideology. Um, and I thought, you know, particularly with this boy of Jono, Jeremiah, that you can't talk someone out of an indoctrinated belief, whether it's political or religious or social, whatever the the, the case may be. It's, it's like trying to talk him out of a cult because his identity is purely wrapped up in the identity that he has been given by Captain Endar.
2: Uh, okay. <laughs> Why are we talking about indoctrination? He was raised by a different culture. That's what we're talking about. I mean, would you say that Russians are indoctrinated? Would you say that the Japanese are indoctrinated? Or would you say the Chinese are indoctrinated? I mean, in some cases maybe some people are and in some cases maybe you don't like the way their government is working, but you wouldn't swoop in and take a I mean, I hope anyway. I couldn't help but think about all the all the boarding schools for the uh for the for the for the first uh for the first persons in canada or the schools you know where where native americans were taken away from their native american families and raised in 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 church organizations Hmm. i mean because we decided we had a very imperialistic idea that oh what's happening with that is wrong now there is a difference here in that Jono is human that we can actually trace his i mean as opposed to being a completely different race i'm not saying you know that's, that sounded fraught with disaster. Jono has a Federation lineage, yep. and we can actually go. We can we can call his grandma or his gammy. We, we can call his nana right now and say, "Hey, we found your grandson. Do you want him?" And of course, she's going to say yes because you know, come on. Um, it, it it just I, I, indoctrination doesn't seem like the right word here to me. He was raised by a different culture, and I would think that we would be beyond the point of saying well you know different culture equals bad or well, assuming I, I, that you know other culture mean well
1: I, I don't think that indoctrination immediately has a negative connotation you know in that saying that it is bad but here's the thing Jono or mm-hmm. Jeremiah at the point that he was no longer Jeremiah is being told one particular point of view one particular ideology mm-hmm. which is that aliens are bad I mean mm-hmm. I, this idea that you won't take his gloves off to, to touch the unclean mm-hmm. who are who are him? <laughs> you know the, he is human, the other people there are human as well. so he has been fed this very particular ideology totally to the extent of pushing out any recognition. Of what his real history is, uh, of what his his biological, ethnic, social, uh, whatever ways you want to wrap up and say that this was his original identity. So
2: I'm not sure that's 100 percent fair, though, because Jono knows that his Jono knows that he's human. He knows that he's not Tolarian. And what he was told by Endar was that Endar saved him from death, which is true. Now, Endar also led to that. that, that, Well, maybe he doesn't want anything else, though. Go back to what um, Guinan was telling the Roshenkos when they were aboard the Enterprise. Guinan told the the Ryshenkos said, yeah, we let him find out whatever he wanted to about the Klingons. And and you know we we fostered that as much as we could, but we we sort of let him go his own way on that thing. And Guinan says that, that that's truly impressive. It is a truly impressive thing that they let him do that. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I get the impression Endar wouldn't be quite that liberal with his child.
2: Okay, but we don't know. I mean, it's uh, also it's also I, I, quite I, possible that Jono just didn't give a wet slap. And who because who around him does he have to ask about it anyway? I mean, the Federation the Tolerians are, are very much a sort of uh, isolationist society, it would seem. I mean, yeah, the, so the way he ended up with Jono was it was a border dispute, and rather than, you know, settling it in arbitration, they settled it by destroying the colony. Right. right? So
1: you think a conversation between Jono and his father would be something like, you know, hey, I want to learn more about uh, about my heritage and my people. And and, and Dara's like, oh, sure, you mean the – unclean aliens that are not fit to be touched by our hands that uh, we destroy rather than negotiate with sure yeah we'll we'll get right on that
2: well (laughs) I mean we don't know because we weren't privy to that conversation I mean (laughs) the one thing that you can say is that Endar is an honorable is an honorable character he shows up through this episode as an honorable character yes he has a certain code by which he was raised yes he has a certain code by which he lives but we don't know the answer to that question we spend so much time saying we're only going by what we see on the screen. Yeah, you're right. He might not be happy about it. But, I mean, we're also given to understand that had Jono said to him, I want to stay here, Endar would have been like, okay. It would have broken his heart. There's no question. Mm. And, and Jono had such a hard time dealing with that that he decided the best thing to do would be to uh, kill Picard. Now, i got a quick question for you. Okay. I had started to make a joke about, you know, good thing Jono didn't get to the part where he learned how to kill somebody with a knife. Jonah would actually know how to kill somebody with a knife. He didn't want to kill Picard, but he couldn't make the decision. So he had to make it look like he was trying to kill Picard so that he would be put to death because that's what he thought would happen. Correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Just checking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. I wanted to to double check that part because I'm like, wow, this guy's not going to be a good warrior. Oh, maybe Uh, he'll be the best warrior, actually. Yeah.
1: Uh, In this episode, it's interesting that Captain Picard gets to act like a father. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I don't know how much there is to it.
2: Um, it's other interesting than, that you say gets to.
1: Yeah, <laughs> is forced to. <laughs> yes, under under duress. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's handled well. It's also handled for comedic effect, uh, but it, but it's also handled well. Um, on an unrelated topic, do you remember the whole Elion Gonzalez
2: story? Um, I was very self-centered in the '90s, John. Okay,
0: well, was well, it Two thousand. Oh, you, had okay. you Broken
2: out of it. Well, yeah. then, I, no, no. Then I was actually suffering a bit of Stockholm syndrome of my own, honestly. Oh, um, sorry to hear that. it. Yeah. Uh, I remember it happening, but I, I'm not sure what you're driving at here.
1: Well, no, it, it was a similar story in real life, um, not not the same, uh, mm-hmm. but, but there was a, a similar thread that I thought of when rewatching this episode, uh, that in 2000, uh, uh, a woman and her boy, Eliane Gonzalez, who at the time was like six or seven years old or something, um, had tried to escape Cuba mm-hmm. and get to Miami. And uh, they hit a storm, Uh, something like 10 people on board this boat died, but Elian was one of the survivors. Now, when all of this happened, his father in Cuba had no idea that this was going on until after his wife and boy had left. So he got in touch with relatives who were in Miami and said, hey, look, my my wife and my boy have left without my knowledge. Can you please keep an eye out for them? I, I, I want them back. You know, And this created this huge political divide because there were Cuban-Americans, in, uh, particularly in Miami, who felt very strongly that Elian should stay in the U.S. with his relatives here. Mm-hmm. And there were Cuban-Americans who felt very strongly that he should be returned to his biological father, who was still living in Cuba and had no idea that uh, his boy would be leaving. Right. Um, And cut to the end, and and there's this very famous picture at won a Pulitzer Prize that year of a a U.S. soldier holding a gun pointed at the American relative holding Elian Gonzalez in order to take him back. So the, the long and short of it is that Elian did go back to Cuba. Um, but it was an incredibly messy political and cultural struggle at the time, yeah. um, and that that is something that I did think about while watching this episode. This episode predates that by you know ten years. Um, and, and again, the circumstances aren't exactly the same, um, but the uh, the the strife and the fighting and the arguing of one culture over another and the arguing of what's best for the boy because that, that's always what it came down to was really heated and, and ate up a lot of uh, column inches in newspapers at the time. Um, so that was just something that was sort of a rip from the headlines that, uh, that I thought about when watching this episode. Yeah. Um, I do have a question that I'm wondering, what is the ending for Jono? what's the the happy ending and what's the unhappy ending here so did Picard and everyone else on the Enterprise have enough of a breakthrough with Jono to wake up his human side even if that's arguable that that's a good thing Mm -hmm. you know because you can't argue that, that it's not or that at least it's inappropriate and then I wondered could he be the first Tolarian to bridge the gap so that the rest of his people don't just see humans as enemies or could he be so conflicted that he can't handle the, the maybe internal turmoil or ridicule that we know is coming from the rest of his life since he's an outsider? I could see this going to a very dark place, and, and maybe staying with the Enterprise crew would have been the only happy ending, and that's happy in finger quotes. Of course, it, it might have also started a war that Picard could not talk his way out of. That is not a very happy ending. Yeah. Um, but I really wondered, it, it, it was uh, a couple of important and dramatic scenes of Jono remembering his human life. First when looking at the picture and then when they were playing space racquetball and it made you think, okay, even though this kid is going back with Endar, even though this kid is so wrapped up in his life as a Talarian. He's now woken up this emotional part of himself about that history, about what happened to him. Right. Um, And I thought that, uh, well, it seems like there's more to the story to be told because of that.
2: There may be. I mean, I've got I don't know why I'm having such a hard time with some of this stuff. Hmm. I'm having difficulty with some of the terminology that you're using. Yeah. Um, I mean, first of all, I don't know that the Talarians see the humans as enemies. What the What the Talarians didn't want was anybody else in their space. Again, they're isolationists, but they're not sure. aggressors. They do not want, you know, to dominate everything. They want to be left alone. I don't think they see humans as their enemies. I think they see encroachment as their enemy.
1: Well, with with no room for negotiation, John Scotts Jeremiah's parents.
2: Okay. Well, <laughs> I mean they serious? were in the wrong place at the wrong time. No, seriously, I mean it's a terrible thing. Don't misunderstand me, but there's a, there's a difference, I think. There's a difference okay. I believe between being an aggressive enemy and being somebody who's going to defend what they see as their place. Now you say there's no room for negotiation, but obviously after the war there was room for negotiation. This did this was not Picard didn't invite a Romulan captain on board the Enterprise. He invited somebody with with whom we have a tenuous piece. I mean, he actually says, Oh, look, we, we've we been cool for a long time. You really want to fight over this kid? <laughs> okay, so it starts with, We've been cool for a long time, right? Yeah. I have a problem with the term enemy, I guess, uh, for some reason. Um, I also, I don't know that... And it's, it's interesting to me that you found so much to discuss here, because to me, the answer was obvious the whole time, which is not to say that I knew how it was going to end. But if it had ended any other way, I think I would have been a little bit upset. Mm. He he had to go back to Endar. He's, he's talarian And to do anything else would have would have absolutely driven Jono mad. Um, you say he's in for a lifetime of ridicule. I don't know that that's necessarily true. The talarians it's possible, despite their isolationism, it's possible they are better people than we are today as we record this. I'm not going to say the Telerians are better than the Federation, although I think in this episode Endar was better than Picard in a Mm. lot of ways. It's certainly possible they're better people than the Klingons. I mean, Jono is the son of a warship captain. He is out training with other boys his age. It's possible and maybe even likely, given what we know of Telerian tradition— since he is the son of a warship captain, it's possible that he will be treated as a Talarian from now on. People might look at the top of his head and go, "Oh, missing a few bumps there, aren't you?" But otherwise, <laughs> I don't see him. I don't see him as. This is not Spock on Vulcan, which no, is I mean, which certainly... is funny because these are these are like warrior people who seem to look at this warrior kid and not see a human, but see a war a Talarian warrior kid. Whereas the completely dispassionate, completely non-emotional Vulcans, we always hear about Spock getting, you know, the tar beans out of him, at least in, in, uh, or being made fun of in the animated series and, uh, and of course, in the reboot, but maybe we don't count those.
0: I do not know about you, but with a title like Suddenly Human, I really thought that this would be a data-driven episode.
1: Wait, Ken? Yeah? What are, you, what are you doing?
2: I'm doing the banar because I'm sad that, you know, we're going uh, to be ending the show pretty soon. So. Okay, well, could you thought,
1: maybe, <whistles> maybe okay maybe hold off doing that while we finish the show, and then when we're done, you can go back to all the banar you want.
2: <laughs> all the banar I can All stand. the banar,
1: all the banar yeah. you can
2: handle. Until some captain comes along and says, knock it off. Yep. Which I would imagine would happen pretty soon if I did that too long. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Totally agree with Picard. (laughs) All right. So we have to do the thing now where we decide about the messengers, morals and meanings of this episode and whether or not this episode uh, stands the test of time. Uh, Let's start with that, John. Does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned?
1: I I found it really compelling. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And if the last few episodes, you know, we talk about best of both worlds, family and brothers. If those have felt like a clean break that the next generation was making from TOS style storytelling. This felt more like a TOS story. Yeah. Um, I, I just had to ask myself again, what would Kirk do? <laughs> so, since I think the ending would have been very different in the 1960s. Yes. Um, it would have been extremely different. I agree, do agree with you. Had it ended any other way, uh, I would have felt like maybe I had been cheated or maybe it wasn't the, the right Way to end this. I just know that Kirk would have probably done something very different.
2: Um, you'll uh, call it freedom, Jono, and you'll and like it. You'll like it a lot, <laughs> right?
1: Under pain of torture, exactly. you enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, th- this felt like one of those episodes, but but it felt like it was given the the next gen kind of spin, um, and, and appropriately so, and it and it worked very well. Um, yeah, I, I quite liked it. I think it holds up very well as production. Um, I think that Chad Allen is very good as Jono. Yeah, I mean, you can kind of say what you will about the the stylistic trappings, whether it's the the design or the music. You know, those kids with their funny rock and roll and their their gloves and hammocks. And Are you kidding all me? I
2: want that album.
1: <laughs> I bet. I bet you do. <laughs> um. But, no, I, I think it works quite well. How
2: about you, sir? Um, I think it's a well-acted episode, though. Uh, if I had a time machine, I would go back and pay the writers good money to write better parts for Wesley.
1: Oh, yeah. He's
2: an ensign now. He's 17 or 18 years old, but he's still grooving on a banana split like he's seven. <laughs> and and that kind of bothers me because he's he's seriously not a kid anymore. He is a young adult. And uh, yet we're I, still, we're still you know, getting the sort of... And what's Riker doing sitting there watching a 17-year-old eat a banana split? Because that's all that's happening. Riker's actually holding a spoon. Are they going to share a banana split? I mean, what, what is going on there? It kind of bothered me. I know you like that scene. And I, know- well, I,
1: I, I get very excited about food. So <laughs> is that maybe,
2: it? maybe that's it. Yeah. Who eats blue ice cream in a banana split? That's the other thing. Ugh. Space ice cream. Oh, space ice cream, that's true. Although, I, I've, been cream. To, uh, I've been to the Huntsville, Alabama Space and Rocket Center. Yeah. Space ice cream is not even supposed to be cold. It comes in little square packets.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, and well. you break it
2: off and you eat it and you're done. <laughs> right. Um, I had no problem with the conclusion at which they ended. The problem that I had was with the amount of time it took to get there. Um, yeah. and like I said before, it's like it's like whoever wrote this episode knew nothing of Worf's past. We're just supposed to forget. I kept. I even thought about writing it into the to the recap. like, oh, and now they're Worf and Jono are going to talk about. Oh no, they're not <laughs> because they don't. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, while they're sitting there saying, I mean, and and it's. I'm now on the other side of this fence. I have said for the past few weeks that I'm not certain that we're actually doing Star Trek justice by doing so much character development. But having Mm. done so much character development, it is now ludicrous how little character development there is here. Troy is saying, what we have to do is really, you know, wake this kid up to the fact that he's human. Oh, Troy, the psychological counselor on the ship is saying, (laughs) what we really need to do is snap this kid out of it, as opposed to think about... You know, what's going to be best for him or where, you know, who his family is or anything like that. Troy is in the room when Endar and Jono are together and still nothing clicks with her that, okay, this is actually his family. This is where he needs to be. And while they're sitting there talking over what's going to be best for Jono, they got a guy right behind them who was raised in an almost exact situation. Yeah. Right? He, his parents were killed. He was raised by somebody who were not his. Now, granted, he was not raised by Romulans, which would have mm-hmm. made him really interesting. But mm-hmm. uh, he's only really interesting as opposed to really interesting as far as I'm <laughs> concerned right now. Um, I mean, he's he he lived through that. That this was not a wharf episode made absolutely no sense to me. Something along the lines of the bonding. Yeah. Not completely the bonding, but at least they could have. They should have had some sort of meeting of the minds and they don't. And that's. That's craziness that yeah. can only be accomplished yeah. by having somebody who, and I mean, no offense. I mean, she wrote a good episode. Don't get me wrong. It's just, it, this would have been a great episode, season one, because yeah. we know too uh, much yeah. about these characters now for this episode to, I mean, and I don't want to say the episode doesn't work, but I was frustrated by that part of the writing.
1: Hmm.
2: And I was honestly frustrated by the whole thing with the message as well. I don't know what the message is supposed to be if there is a message here. I think it was a great sort of study of a, of a, of a, of a difficult situation um yeah. it could be sort of against the uh, sort of boarding schools like i mentioned earlier for the native americans or the first nations kids in uh, in uh, canada except that this is not exactly that situation um it could just simply be about not assuming that you know what's best for someone based on their genealogy or the color of their skin it really seems to me that decisions like this would have to be made on a case-by-case basis and yet i know they aren't even today i know they aren't um I don't know that there's an overall, you know, in case of displaced kids manual (laughs) in this episode, unless it's in case of displaced kid work out what's actually best for this individual child, not what automatically seems right. I know. I'm sorry. I went from does it hold up to what are the messages and all that stuff. But what about messages as far as you're concerned?
1: Yeah. No, I I think that's perfectly valid. I mean, it's not a you see Timmy moment. Um, And he might not even
2: want to be called Timmy.
1: He might not. (laughs) You <laughs> might not. Tono. Is new Timmy. Yes. Um, no, as I was watching it and trying to, in my initial past, sort of making notes, well, okay, is this about the abuse of a child? Is this about this? Is this about. And, and the answer at the end is really no. But there is this interesting idea presented um, uh, of, like I said, this sort of cultural, moral back and forth of determining what's. You know, what, what's right and wrong and ultimately does it just come down to what does the kid want <laughs> and and what seems in this case-by-case basis, in this particular case with Jono, what seems right for him and also uh, taking consideration what's right for uh, for Endar. Um, so these were interesting ideas presented but I, I don't think it comes down in a particular um, uh, hard line, you know, at the end of the day here's how we're going to treat kids who are raised in an alien culture who thinks that all humans are disgusting. No, Mm -hmm. that is not really a a final message to wrap up there. But I, I, I do like, I do like the rumination. I do like the idea of people trying to determine what really is best. What is our moral obligation? And really at the end of the day, is it not our fight to pick? Do we sit this out? and and let things go back to the way they were. You I, know, Picard, Picard makes the right decision. We both know that he makes the right decision.
2: Yeah. I I do like the fact that – I do like the fly in the ointment that he is a human kid. I mean, it, I mean, you could almost say that this is an anti-imperialism sort of, well, we know best how to raise your child. Yeah. I mean, except that – I mean, the kid is from the Federation originally. So, I mean, right. I, like, I like that – that that's what makes it so hard to say. Well, there's this one blanket message, and the one blanket message is this. Unless the one blanket message is, you know, take it on a case by case basis. Consider the individual, not the, uh, you know, not just sort of a, a codification, if you will.
1: Well, and like I said, maybe the happy ending is much further down the road—five, ten, fifteen, twenty years—when this kid who who may very well, like you said, just completely absorb himself with the Tolarian way of life and only consider himself Tularian, Or is there that part of him that was woken up to the idea of his cultural past that says, well, maybe I want to find out what that is too? You know, Worf, for all, for all this sort of fun of seeing him struggle with both sides, his human side and his Klingon side, and sometimes a difficulty of seeing him struggle with the Klingon and the human sides, he's he's doing all right. <laughs> you know, he's he's working this out okay, and he seems to have come to some kind of peace with his parents uh, when we last saw them in uh, in family. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I would like to think that maybe Jono would find that as well and be able to, like I said, bridge that uh, cultural gap. But uh, I'm not holding my breath for it. Well, I can't because. I think we'll never see him again.
2: <laughs> well, who knows? We may see him on you know Star Trek, the generation after the next generation. Oh, which yeah. looking may- forward to that generation. Maybe we'll end up being a series. Maybe it won't. <laughs> Here's one thing we do know. Mission Log. These are actually several things that we know. See, I tried okay. to find a good way in, and then I realized, nope, I said it wrong. No, it's good. Here's some stuff we know. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Find more at Roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, be sure to check out Trek FM. that is trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com.
1: Next week, remember me.
0: Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory free to download at theory.com I am not usually a touchy-feely being but I would totally touch foreheads with you and transmission